Good morning and welcome to Christ Central Online. My name is Owen. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Thank you for joining us this morning and it's so good to see some new faces in the room today. Well, if you're a part of the Christ Central family, then you know that I would normally introduce our new ministry theme on our fall kickoff Sunday. But because of COVID-19 and the impact that it's had on our ministry schedule, I'm going to introduce our ministry theme today so that I can start our new sermon series today instead of waiting until our fall kickoff Sunday. So the theme for this upcoming year is simply this in two words, following Jesus. The elders of our church, who are the leaders and the shepherds of our church, uh, sense the need for our church to consider what it means to follow Jesus, especially in these strange and uncertain times in which we live. Historically, Christians have been called Christ followers. A Christian is someone who follows Christ. A Christian is someone who follows Jesus. But we hear that word all the time, don't we? Follow Jesus. But what does that mean? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it look like to follow Jesus? What does a life that trusts Jesus as Savior look like? What does a life that obeys Jesus as Lord look like? What does a life that is being sanctified and being conformed into the likeness of Jesus look like? In other words, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Now, did you know that it's possible to believe in Jesus, but not follow Jesus. Demons believe in Jesus, but they do not follow Jesus. You see, following Jesus is not less than believing in Jesus, but it is far more than believing in Jesus. Following Jesus involves trusting Jesus, loving Jesus, worshiping Jesus, obeying Jesus, honoring Jesus, and becoming more like Jesus. Following Jesus means asking, what would my Lord Jesus have me to do? And then, by the power of his Spirit, to actually do it. Now, in order to learn about what it means to follow Jesus, we're going to do a year-long study of the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to call this series following Jesus through the book of Luke. Now, in this series, this is what we're going to do. We're going to follow Jesus through Luke's book. We're going to watch Jesus do what he does. We're going to listen to Jesus as he speaks. And as we watch Jesus, as we listen to Jesus, as we follow Jesus around in the book of Luke, my hope and my prayer is that our church would find Jesus to be beautiful and compelling and that we would be reassured of what we believe, that Jesus really is the Savior and the Lord of the world. And as we follow Jesus through Luke, may we learn how to follow Jesus through life. May our lives reveal what Luke reveals, that Jesus is Lord, and that there is no greater joy than to follow Jesus. So starting today and all the way till next June for the next 11 months, we're going to do an in-depth, chapter-by-chapter study of Luke's gospel. We're going to follow, we're literally going to follow Jesus around through the book of Luke. And our, on our church website, you're going to find our preaching schedule for the entire year. The entire sermon series has been mapped out already. And Lord willing, we're going to follow that map. And today's sermon will serve as the introduction to the book of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 to 4. And we're going to read what is known as the prologue to Luke's Gospel. 
people of God, this is the word of our God. Would you please give it your careful attention? Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me, also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Now let me begin with just a few introductory uh, facts about the Gospel of Luke. First, the author. Luke is the author of this book, and this is what we know about Luke. We know four things about Luke. First, Luke was a Gentile, and that simply means that Luke was not a Jew. He was a non-Jew. He was a Gentile who converted to Christianity and who embraced the Christian faith. Second, Luke was a physician, a doctor, as we learn today. In fact, in Colossians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul referred to Luke as the beloved physician. And third, Luke was a historian. Luke wrote a history about the life and ministry of Jesus. And in fact, in his other book, the book of Acts, he wrote the history of the birth and the initial growth of the Christian church. And fourth and lastly, Luke was a theologian. Luke was concerned not only to tell us history, but also to teach us theology through his history. Luke's goal was both to write an accurate history and a robust theology. In fact, did you know that between his gospel and the book of Acts, uh, Luke wrote 30% of the New Testament. In fact, nobody wrote more of the New Testament than Luke, not even the Apostle Paul. All of his writings only comprise 23% of the New Testament. Second, the audience. Who did Luke write his book for? Who was his intended audience? Well, it tells us in our text today that it was written for a man named Theophilus. Now, because the name Theophilus means lover of God, many Bible scholars believe that that Theophilus was a, a, a symbolic person, that Luke was writing his book to anyone and everyone who loves God. But many, in fact, most biblical scholars believe that Theophilus was an actual real historical person. Uh, Theophilus, uh, from what we can gather, was a Gentile just like Luke, and he appears to be a man of high rank and position and probably had considerable wealth. Many Bible scholars believe that Theophilus was Luke's patron, meaning he was the man who commissioned Luke to write and publish his book and who covered the financial cost of that to happen. That's why Luke dedicated his book to Theophilus. Third, and this is very important, the date of the book. Luke wrote his book in the early 60s, which was less than 30 years after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. That means that there were eyewitnesses who were still alive when Luke wrote and publicly circulated his book. And we're going to discuss why, just in a minute, why that's so important. But that's very, very important. Today, what I want to do is I want to introduce uh, Luke's gospel to you by pointing out three things about Luke's gospel. First, it's historical. Second, it's theological. And third, it's pastoral. Historical, theological, and pastoral. First, Luke's gospel is historical. In verse 1 he says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. 
Now Luke says that his work is not new, it's not novel, it's not the first of its kind. In fact, he says that there were many others who had written narratives about Jesus, and some of them were sources for his own work. He doesn't now, uh, he doesn't identify who the many other authors are, but we do know of one. It was certainly Mark and his gospel, which is the second gospel in the New Testament. Luke had his own unique contributions to make, but listen, he was building upon the work of other writers. Luke is basically saying there are a lot of people who have written a lot of things about Jesus. I've taken, I've taken the best ones, and I've checked them out with eyewitness sources, and I've carefully and fully investigated and researched the matter, and what I did was I put it all together in this orderly account, which is my book. Now, one of the best things that I watched during this time of social isolation was the recent Michael Jordan and a, a docuseries called The Last Dance. Now, there are tons of video footage, highlights, and interviews, and even specials about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. But Jason Hare, the director of The Last Dance, basically said, let's take all the best footage about Michael Jordan that's out there, and let's take some never-before-seen footage of Michael Jordan, and let's make one comprehensive and compelling docuseries about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Luke's Gospel it's kind of like the last dance. Luke took all the best material about Jesus that was out there, and including some of his own uh, unique material from his own sources, and he wrote one comprehensive and compelling historical narrative about the life and ministry of Jesus. And just as the last dance was about a real historical person, namely Michael Jordan, so also the Gospel of Luke is about a real historical person, namely Jesus Christ. Now in verse 2, Luke wrote, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Now Luke himself was not an eyewitness of the things that Jesus did and said, but he had consulted others who were, namely the apostles. And we know he certainly did with the apostle Paul because they were the ministers of the word. Now, Luke is telling us very clearly that he is writing history based on eyewitness testimony. He is not writing a myth. He is not writing a legend. He is not writing a fictional story. Luke is writing real history based on eyewitness testimony. He's writing actual facts about Jesus, things that Jesus actually did and said. In other words, Luke is writing the true story of Jesus Christ. And because Luke wrote and published his book less than 30 years after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, that means that there were thousands and thousands of eyewitnesses who were still alive. People who saw and heard Jesus with their own eyes and their own ears. You see, Luke did not write his book 300 years after, after all the eyewitnesses were dead and gone. He wrote his book less than 30 years after when many of his eyewitnesses were still alive and still around. So Luke could say, you can go and ask the people about the things in my book. They're still alive today. They can verify that everything that I wrote in my book actually happened. You see, Luke, the things that Luke writes in his book did not happen in a corner. 
There were thousands and thousands of people who saw Jesus perform his miracles. Uh, These things that Jesus did were done very publicly and very openly. Let me give you an example. It's like a historian today writing a contemporary history about the attacks on September 11th, 2001, which was almost 20 years ago. There are millions of us who were eyewitnesses of what happened on that day, and we're still alive today, and we can verify everything that historian puts into his historical account. I can still remember watching TV early that Tuesday morning and seeing in disbelief as I saw the second plane fly into the building. It was surreal. It felt like I was watching a movie. I remember thinking, this can't be happening in real life. Now listen, friends. Even if there were no video footage of the planes crashing into the Twin Towers, even if there was no video footage of those two buildings collapsing to the ground, he can confidently write that those things indeed did happen. Why? Because there are still tens of thousands of PI witnesses who are living in Manhattan today who will tell you that they saw it with their own eyes. The living eyewitnesses would provide a high level of trustworthiness to his historical account because they could verify his story even if there were no video footage of what actually happened on September 11th. Friends, in the same way, the living eyewitnesses at the time that Luke wrote and published his book provides a high level of trustworthiness to his book because they could verify the things that Luke recorded in his book. There were many people who could say, yes, everything in Luke's book is true because I was there. Someone could say, I saw Jesus heal the paralytic. Another person could say, I saw Jesus cleanse the leper. And another person could say, you know, I was there when Jesus fed the 5,000. I was one of the 5,000. I ate the bread and, and, and ate the fish myself. And another could say, you know, I was there when Jesus raised Jairus' dead daughter back to life. I couldn't believe it, but I saw it for myself. You see, Luke's gospel presents trustworthy and reliable history because there, are, there were living eyewitnesses who could verify the things that Luke wrote about. In other words, because Luke's eyewitnesses beheld it, we can believe it. So the first thing we need to know about Luke's gospel is that it's historical. Luke is writing actual and accurate history, not fiction, not myth, not legend. He's writing the true story of Jesus. Second, Luke's gospel is theological. In verse 3, Luke says, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Luke wrote his gospel with a theological purpose. He wanted Theophilus to have certainty or assurance about the things that he had been taught about Jesus. Luke wants Theophilus, and not just Theophilus, but for every one of us who reads his book, to know and to be certain of the things that God has done in and through his son, Jesus Christ. 
In verse 1, Luke says that he is writing about what was accomplished among us. Accomplished by who? Accomplished by God. It was God in Jesus who accomplished all the things that Luke wrote about in his book. Everything Jesus did, everything Jesus said reveals something about God because Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, Jesus is God in human flesh. Now, there are many important theological themes in the book of Luke, but I want to just highlight two of them for you today. First, this is the most important and the most dominant theological theme in the book of Luke. So I have to mention this, and that's the theme of what we call salvation history or or redemptive history. Luke wants us to know that his gospel— is actually a part of a larger story. His gospel doesn't begin, his story doesn't begin just with his gospel. It's a part of a larger story. The larger story is the biblical story that began all the way back in Genesis. The story of how God promised to redeem and restore a world that was broken by sin. You see, the Old Testament story of God graciously promising to redeem the world through a redeemer is the context to understand Luke's gospel. And as the Old Testament story unfolds, we learn that this redeemer that God has promised is at the same time the promised child of the woman, is at the same time the promised son of Abraham, and at the same time the promised king from the line of David. Luke's story of Jesus is a part of that larger Old Testament story that began in Genesis. In fact, Jesus is the long-awaited fulfillment of all the promises, hopes, and expectations of the Old Testament. All that the Old Testament promised. All that the Old Testament looked forward to in hope and expectation and, 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 and anticipation, they are fulfilled and realized and accomplished in Jesus. In other words, the Old Testament story is the womb from which the story of Jesus is born. Another important theological theme in Luke's uh, book is God's concern for the marginalized. During Luke's time, the people who were marginalized, who were overlooked, undervalued, were four groups. Women, children, the poor, and the social outcasts. And Luke's gospel will show us that the people who are not important in the eyes of the world are very important in the eyes of God. All the people that the world devalues, God values. All the people that the world overlooks, God sees. And all the people that the world forgets, God remembers. Now, this beautiful theme of God's concern for the marginalized comes up over and over and over again in Luke's gospel. You see, for those who have little or nothing in this world, for those who have little or no money or possessions, for those who have little or no social status, for those who have little or no political power, Luke's gospel is good news to them. It is no wonder that Luke's gospel has traditionally been called the gospel for the poor. You see, Jesus cares for the poor and the vulnerable, and so must we if we truly want to follow Jesus. So Luke's gospel is historical and theological. Lastly, Luke's gospel is pastoral. 
In verse 4, Luke tells us his purpose for writing his gospel. He says that you may have, that you, Theophilus, and us readers, that we may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Theophilus was probably a new believer, and he was probably struggling with some questions and doubts about his Christian faith, about who Jesus was and what Jesus did. So Luke wrote his gospel for this purpose, that Theophilus might have certainty, that he might have assurance that the things that he had been taught about Jesus are indeed true. Luke wrote his book to strengthen the faith of Theophilus and also to strengthen the faith of everyone else who would read his book. Luke's aim is to edify and to encourage Christ followers, especially new and young Christ followers who are struggling with questions and doubts. And Luke will encourage and edify our faith in Jesus by showing us who Jesus is and what Jesus did for our salvation. You see, in Luke's gospel, we're going to find both the teachings of Jesus and the actions of Jesus. We will hear what Jesus taught, and we will see what Jesus did. Both the teachings and the actions of Jesus are important. But listen, friends, what saves us are not the teachings of Jesus, but the actions of Jesus. Let me say that again. It is not the teachings of Jesus that save us, but the actions of Jesus. And that's why it's so important that Luke calls his book a narrative, a story. His gospel tells the story of what Jesus did. You see, if it were the teachings of Jesus that saves us, then our salvation would be up to us, up to, up to us obeying his teachings. But it is not the teachings of Jesus that saves us. It's the actions of Jesus. Luke's gospel is the story of what Jesus did to save us because we could not save ourselves. Now, please don't misunderstand me. The teachings of Jesus are very important. They're critical. They tell us how we are to live after we are saved, after Jesus has saved us. But Jesus must first be our Savior before he is our teacher. Luke's gospel is not about Jesus telling us what we must do in order to be saved. It's about what Jesus did in order to save us. Now imagine if you don't know how to swim and you fall into a deep pool and you begin to drown and you're gulping water and you're, you're, you're drowning. When you're drowning, what do you need? Do you need a swim teacher to come to the side of the pool and to teach you how to swim? Hey, start doing this, and you'll be okay. Is that what you need when you're drowning? A swim teacher? No. What you need is a lifeguard, someone who's going to jump into the pool, swim over to you, grab you, and then drag you to safety. When you're drowning, you don't need a swim teacher. You need a lifeguard. Because when you can't swim, you need someone who will do the swimming for you. Friends, we were drowning. No, we were dead in our sins. And Jesus did not come as our teacher, but as our lifeguard, as our Savior. He came to save us by doing something for us that we could not do for ourselves. 
Jesus came to die on that cross as an atoning sacrifice for our sins and then to rise again from the dead. And Jesus did that in order to save us because we could not do that for ourselves. Friends, this is the most pastoral thing that Luke could ever do for us, his reader. By showing us what Jesus did for us, Luke will encourage and edify our faith in Jesus. By showing us what Jesus did for us, Luke will show us how much Jesus loves us. Now, Luke doesn't just command us to follow Jesus. He will certainly do that later in his gospel. But do you know what the genius of Luke is? Luke compels us to follow Jesus by showing us how beautiful Jesus is how loving and how kind Jesus is. You see, when you see Jesus as he truly is, and you begin to see all of his beauty and majesty and glory and grace, you cannot help but want to follow Jesus. When you see Jesus following God's plan of salvation to save you, even though that plan involved him dying on a cross for you, when you see Jesus doing that for you, that will melt your heart. That will move your heart. And that will make you want to follow Jesus. When you see Jesus laying down his life for you, then and only then, Will you truly love him? And will you truly want to follow him? You know, love makes all the difference in the world. If you don't love Jesus, then following Jesus will be a chore. And eventually you're going to quit. But if you do love Jesus with all of your heart, then following him will be a delight. And you will never stop following him, no matter how hard it gets, because... His love is better than life. And the only way that you will ever love Jesus, I mean truly from your heart, the only way you will ever love Jesus is if you first see that he first loved you and laid down his life for you. When you see someone laying down their life for you, that's when you know that you're loved. And when you know that you're loved like that, your only natural response is to love him in return and to follow him. You see, friends, the only way that you're going to want to follow Jesus is, is because you love him and you want to be with him. And friends, Luke is eager to show you how much Jesus loves you and what he did to save you. So what? What's the takeaway for today? As we commit to studying the book of Luke for the next 11 months, I have a word for those of you who are believers and a word for those of you who may still be skeptical. You don't know what you believe about Jesus. You don't know what you believe about Christianity. I have a word for you. So I have two words as I conclude. First, a word for those of you who are already believers in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, honestly, during this pandemic, when you've had to socially isolate and all of your Uh, religious patterns and rhythms have been disrupted. Let me ask you, has your faith in Jesus grown a little weak? Has your love and devotion for Jesus gotten a little cold? Has your desire to follow Jesus become a little weak? And let me also be very honest. Have you wondered, man, 
is it really worth it to follow Jesus? Because I feel like for the past four months, I haven't followed Jesus the way I was used to following Jesus, and I think I'm doing okay. Have you ever wondered, is it still worth it to follow Jesus in this hard and frustrating time? If so, I want to encourage you as your pastor, let's study the Gospel of Luke together. Let's follow Jesus through the book of Luke, and let's see again the things that he did. Let's hear again the things that he taught. And when we see and hear Jesus, we will remember something. We will remember that his love for us never grows cold. His desire for us will never wane or falter. Because though we change, Jesus does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as we meet Jesus afresh in this gospel, may we be reminded again that Jesus is worth trusting. Jesus is worth following. Jesus is worth worshiping. And Jesus is worth following no matter where he takes us. Even during this global pandemic, when life has been turned upside down and nobody knows what the future holds. Second, I have a word for those of you who are skeptical. You don't know what you believe about Jesus. You don't know what you believe about the Christian faith. Uh, thank you for tuning in today and for listening. But uh, maybe you've been wondering, what is it about this Jesus that all of these Christians get so excited about him? What is it about this Jesus that so many people, I mean millions of people throughout human history and even today, confess him as Lord and Savior? Maybe you've been wondering, what's the big deal about this Jesus? Well, if you've ever wondered that question, I want to invite you. You know, for the next 11 months, join us every Sunday morning. And let's see what uh, Luke has to say about Jesus. And then and, and after our journey together, if you find Jesus beautiful and believable, then maybe you can join us and we can follow Jesus together. And that'd be awesome. But even after our study, if you're still not convinced, then at least you can say that you consider Jesus and Christianity thoughtfully. And you can have intellectual uh, integrity because you didn't dismiss Jesus and Christianity out of hand without giving it serious consideration. So let me ask you, what do you have to lose? Worst case scenario, you lose an hour a Sunday for the next 11 months. Best case scenario, you gain God. You gain salvation. You gain eternal life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the gospel of Luke. And we are just so excited to see what Luke will reveal to us about who Jesus is and what he has done for us and for our salvation. And I pray that as we study this book, I pray that our faith in your son Jesus would deepen our devotion to him would deepen and that we would follow him with joy because he leads us not only home to heaven, but he leads us to himself. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.